Well, good morning, church family. I don't know how you follow up a video about giving, so I'm not going to attempt it. We're going to jump right into Romans chapter 14. That sound good? Romans chapter 14 this morning. Um, Paul has given us a great deal of instruction thus far through the book of Romans, hasn't he? He's told us and shaped us our idea that, that we... Before Christ, we're deeply sinful in need of a Savior. All of us stood condemned before God because of our rebellion, our suppression of the truth, and our rejection of God. And because of that, we were in great need of a Savior. We needed someone to mind the gap on our behalf. And Romans tells us about our beautiful Savior, Jesus Christ, that that has come as the Son of God and perfectly lived the life that that we should have lived and then died the death, the substitutionary death that, that we should have died. And because of that, you and I come to Jesus and, and we say and confess all of our need before him and confess our faith and belief that he is a savior that is able to restore our relationship to God. And because of that, you and I, Paul says, were made new. And because we are made new, now what Jesus is doing in each of our lives is he is conforming us into his perfect image. This is a process called sanctification. It happens over the course of our lifetime and will not be fully complete until we meet Jesus face to face. And when we do that, we will be glorified with Jesus and reign eternally with him. And we sing about what a great day that will be. And it truly will be an incredible day in which we do this. But Paul doesn't allow our minds just to become so heavenly minded that we are no earthly good. Paul has given us admonitions that you and I are to live like Christ now. And through the Holy Spirit's empowerment, we are able to live like Jesus now. And so because of that, he tells us in Romans chapter 12 that you and I are to lay our lives down as a spiritual sacrifice. The only way that you and I will be able to live as Jesus has called us to live is if we have fully submitted ourselves before God and said, Jesus, I want to live like you. And so today, as we jump into Romans chapter 14, I was reminded of the story of Jesus' prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. If you'll remember with me, the night before Jesus' death, he goes and prays in a garden he had prayed in, in many times before, most likely. And he goes to this special spot of prayer. And it's this time when we see in John chapter 17, the Son of God communicating with the Father in such a raw way. And he's crying out before God to the point in which that he begins to, to bleed because he is so anxious and stressed and, and pleading with God. And, and part of his prayer, the, the, the Gospel of John writes, is John 17, 20 through 22. He says, I do not ask for those only, but also for the ones who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be in us so that the world may believe 
that you have sent me. Jesus prays for the unity of his church, just as the Father and the Son are unified as one Godhead. And so because of that, he he sets this framework so that the world may believe, meaning that our witness as a church is partly based on our ability to be unified. It speaks something to a lost world when we can't agree in and of ourselves. Because you know what? The world's got enough of that. Their family's broken. Their, you know, their work is broken. They've got enough dysfunctional relationships. Why would they want to add something else into the mix, right? That just doesn't sound very pleasant. And so because of that, Jesus prays and pleads with the Father that we as his body, those are followers of Jesus, would be unified. But what we see is that the gospel brings together a whole band of misfits, doesn't it? That you and I are brought together by Jesus into one place at one time from different areas with different backgrounds different experiences, different convictions, different uh, work habits, different uh, preferences, all of these things. And we see in the Gospels that Jesus even brings together not just those that don't have much in common, but those that are actually enemies of one another. That Jesus calls us not only just to forgive, but to love one another within the body of Christ. You and I and our church and all churches are beautifully and significantly different. We're different. So how are we able to accomplish God-given and God-prayed for unity in the midst of such significant difference? And, and, and in thinking that, one of the, the things that, that I begin to think of is, is one of the, the tallest buildings of the world. I was curious, and so I looked up what the tallest building in the world is. And it's a name that I'm not going to pronounce because I don't want to butcher it, but it's in Dubai. And it's over 2,700 feet tall, 163 stories. Now, how does a, a building that tall, how is it able to remain upright even through desert storms? Well, one of the most important things is that it is built through a substructure, right? Everything that is underneath the ground is just as important, if not more important, than everything that is visible from our eye level. And so they build a substructure of a, of a foundation that is solid, that allows for something to go up and still be stable. So they have a massive substructure. If you've ever visited the, uh, the 9-11 memorial in New York, you see the massive, massive holes that were left when they cleaned everything up. It's, it's enormous, and it's also greatly sobering. And so when, what you see is that, that they have to build something incredibly strong underneath in order to support. Paul is going to tell us that our foundation, the thing that we must be unified in, is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That we believe Jesus unequivocally is the true son of God that lived the perfect life, that died for us, and that anyone who comes to him shall be raised again and saved with him on the last day. Those are things we have to hold on to. That is the foundation which the church operates. But then as you go above ground, what you begin to see in in, in 
skyscrapers like this is they build in, yes, it's built with concrete, but the way they allow for buildings to sway, I don't know if you've ever been on a bridge or if you've been in a high skyscraper before, but you can feel that thing rocking. And it's a bit disconcerting at times because you're like, is this thing supposed to do this? And the answer is actually yes. They build it. And the, the tallest one in the world can actually sway six and a half feet, which is crazy to think about. But they build these steel rods that allow for even the concrete not to buckle, but allows it to be supported all the way up and allows for that flexibility. What Paul gives us in Romans chapter 14, beloved, is the steel rods that go up from the foundation that allow us to be diverse in our background, in our preference, in our conviction, but also allow us to be unified and to stand together as one unit. So that's what we're doing this morning. Now I want to be clear, not everything that we're, uh, that, not everything in our lives is simply a matter of conscience, right? This is where matters of conscience are where scripture doesn't speak directly or clearly. There are many, many things in scripture that it speaks very clearly and that, therefore they are matters of obedience. This would be things like uh, God's will is never at any point in time, no excuse for us to be drunk. God's will is never for us to be sexually immoral. God's will for us is never to be addicted to any type of substance. God's will for us is to be holy. But there are many things that fall under what's called conscience issues. They're gray areas of the faith. So how do we navigate those in a way that holds us together? Now, these things can be these types of examples. And I want you to keep in mind in whatever you may have questions about. This could be such things like video games. It could be uh, casual alcohol drinking, worship dress, music preference, smoking, debt, Movies, Bible translations, homeschool versus public school, dancing, fashion, sports, and even material wealth. These are all what we would consider gray areas. So how do we not essentially ruthlessly eat each other up for the testimony of the world and for the glory of God? Let's look at Romans chapter 14, verses 1 through 12. When you get there, church, say word. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him. But not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains. And let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats. For God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord. Since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself, 
and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. So what do we make of this passage, church? This is the one main truth that if you don't catch anything else, you don't really get anything else or understand anything else, this is what I want you to understand, okay? And I think this is the main point that Paul has for us, that God desires unity and freedom among the body of Christ in matters of conscience as each person is submitted and accountable to him. God desires unity and freedom among the body of Christ in matters of conscience as each person is both submitted to God and accountable to God. Now, if you're a note taker and you miss some things, I pr- this is a, a lot of outline stuff. I printed some in the back that is available to you on the way out. So if you miss it, that's fine. Grab it on the way out. Um, so let's, let's move into Paul's first point that, that kind of shows or illustrates God's desire for unity and freedom. And the first thing that we see in verses 1 through 4 is this, that in matters of conscience, let us pursue mutual respect and acceptance. In matters of conscience, the first principle or steel beam that Paul is, inserts into the church's infrastructure is that we should pursue mutual acceptance and respect. So when we go back in, in verses 1 through 4, what we find is that the Christians in Rome came from two very, very different backgrounds. Right? You have the Jewish believers that had come out of the Jewish faith that still obeyed all 613 laws that were given in the Old Testament. And so they're coming from this religious background. Our background plays an important aspect in our convictions. But not only that, you also have Roman believers that had joined the church that were called Gentiles. These people did not grow up under the the Jewish law and therefore felt no conviction towards obeying those. And what was happening is there began to be disunity and infighting because of it. You can hear those kind of those whispers now. Can you believe so-and-so was doing this on the Lord's Day? He went, he went out to eat on the Lord's Day. Can you believe that? Can, can you believe this guy's driving that car? Oh, my gosh. Like, can, you can just hear the whispers, can't you? We, you? You probably said them. I know I've said them. Can you, can, I, just, I just can't believe so-and-so would wear that to church. You can hear these things in your mind. We've probably said them before, haven't we? And so Paul recognizes that there's disunity and disharmony that has to be addressed. And he calls us to a couple of things. And there were two specific things that they were disunified on. The first was diet and the next was days. 
So there was two factions, one of which they wanted, there was a certain group that still followed the Old Testament diet and would not eat the meat that they weren't sure about. And then there was also the Sabbath day and other festivals that the Jewish Christians observed still and the other, or the other Christians chose not to abstain. Notice, though, that Paul never says that either one of these are necessarily right or wrong for each of them to do. The only verbal spanking he does is to the one that actually judges, right? Look with me at verses 1 through 3 again. He says, as for the one who is weak in faith, he, he's going to kind of bring up the people that choose to abstain and the people that still hold tightly to the festivals, that he calls them weak in faith. Now, weak there means feeble. It's, it's kind of a, a, an unstable, like it's malnourished, if you will. But what does Paul call them to do, the church to do? Welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. Remember, this is not the black and white parts of Scripture. This is the gray areas. Don't quarrel over them. Welcome him. One person believes he may eat anything, while the other person only eats vegetables. Let the one who eats despise, let not the one, excuse me, the one who eats despise the one who abstains. And let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats. This is Paul's admonition for us. He, he doesn't tell us what our conscience should, should say on some of these gray areas. But what he does do is he says in order for us to have a gospel presence in our community, we must not quarrel over what we consider to be opinions, but rather we should walk in acceptance of one another. Why? Look down at what he says at the end of verse 3. Why? For God has welcomed him. We receive one another, beloved, in all our differences of opinions because God himself has welcomed us. We receive one another because God has received us in Jesus Christ. This is an important aspect. So, so in, in other words, regardless of where we end up falling on some of these issues, we welcome and love one another well. This is kind of the first part of, of the bond, of the steel bond. Now, God's people were to be distinct and holy. But the law, as we know from Romans, that the law was never kept except by one person. Jesus himself fulfilled the law, and righteousness could never be achieved by the law, by us mere human beings, could it? And so because of that, we, we can't look to the law or following strict regulations as a means of righteousness. And so it seems that people were avoiding meat for religious reasons and avoiding certain day or celebrating certain days for religious leaders. But the problem wasn't that they were observing those things. The problem, Paul says, is that they were passing judgment over disputable matters. So the person who looks down or condemns is in the wrong, not the person practicing such thing. Now remember all of those things that I listed earlier. Matter of dress in worship. Music that we prefer. These are things that when we can have personal convictions over and choose to follow those 
And there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. But when we look down or judge or export our expectations onto other people, Paul says that's when the problem exists. What ends up happening is the leaven of legalism just grows and spreads in our heart to the point that we begin to have our only holy circle club that exists of only about five people because they have to believe exactly everything that we believe, right? God says no, welcome and accept one another because God has welcomed each of us. Leslie Flynn writes in his book, Great Church Church Fights, not Fries. That would have been a better book, I bet. Um, But because of sin, these are things that that we've had to deal with. This is written in the 20th century, and so some of it is, is dated, but you'll catch it. Why disagreements exist today in our churches over certain practices, he says. A Christian from the South may be repelled by, this is how you're going to know, by a swimming party for both men and women. Shudder. Uh, <laughs> the audacity. Um, but this, these are still good principles. Then offend his northern brother at the same time by lighting up a cigarette. At an international conclave for missionaries, a woman from Asia could not wear sandals with a clear conscience. But a Christian from Western Canada thought it was worldly for a Christian acquaintance to wear a wedding ring. And a woman from Europe thought it was almost immoral for a wife not to wear a ring that signaled her status. A man from Denmark was pained to even watch the British Bible school students play football or soccer as we know it. While British students thought the Denmark man was crazy because he smoked a pipe. Right? Because of our background, we must welcome and love one another. Follow our personal convictions. And we're going to talk about a little bit about what that means in just a minute. But we have to deal with these issues in a way that honors Christ and allows us to keep our gospel witness. This is important for us to, to think through. So we accept each other's views. How does that happen? I think it happens while we prioritize what really matters. We prioritize what really, really, really matters. Now imagine with me, this is how important that is. Imagine with me that you go to a doctor or you call an EMS service and the ambulance comes and something is terribly, terribly wrong with you. It's just awful, right? And the, the, the EMS person comes And that person doesn't know how to triage you. How big of a deal would that be? It'd be a pretty big deal because he he or she doesn't know how to actually show and figure out how severe your weakness or your injury or anything is. So to him, an ingrown toenail is the same as a heart attack. And that's insane. With us... When everything is a matter of first-tier importance, then, then everybody's going to be miserable. There's no spirit of freedom anywhere. And if nothing matters, then it's total anarchy. And so we must learn as we grow in the spirit, as we submit ourselves to God, we must, through the Holy Spirit's guidance, learn to be able to prioritize and triage what is of utmost importance 
and what are things that we can still welcome and accept and love one another through. Dogma, in my opinion, rarely, rarely, rarely leads to love and unity. Um, And regardless, I see this on Twitter and Instagram, convictions are not an excuse to be a jerk, right? The command to love is greater than our conviction on conscience matters. So there must be, and I know I'm taking a long time on this first point because it's most important in my opinion. There must be a Holy Spirit given manner of freedom to worship in this room that is not judged, that is not condemned, but let us love, respect, and accept one another. Why? Because we are accepted by God. That's the first pillar, and the other ones are going to move much faster. The second one is this. In matters of conscience, let us remember God's authority and then our responsibility. God's authority and our responsibility. Look with me at verse 4. For he is God's servant. Oh, what wrong passage. That's my bad. <laughs> verse 4 of chapter 14. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls. Notice the language. Master, servant. And he will be upheld for the Lord is able to make him stand. So who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? Meaning we are co-servants. This would be like in, in your office, you get the nosy employees that think about the way you're doing your work more than they think about their work. And that drives people crazy, doesn't it? But the same is true in churches when in conscience matters that we worry more about others, what they're doing, than what we are actually doing. And so he says, this master-servant relationship is the one that really matters. Our admonition for brothers and sisters in Christ is to call people out on what is actually clearly sin and to encourage one another, to pray for one another, to even advise one another on what is wise, but then not to play God. We step back out of it. That is what Paul calls us to. We must remember that God is the one that everyone will answer to because he is the one that is the master, not us. So let us remember God's authority and our responsibility. Third, in matters of conscience, let us follow our spirit-filled conviction. In matters of conscience, let us follow our spirit-filled conviction. Look with me at verse 5. Let us follow our spirit-filled conviction. That's an important aspect of this, in my opinion. One person, Paul says, esteems one day as better than another. So now we're getting into the days aspect and not the diet. While another esteems all days alike, each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. Notice with me, first, that Paul actually allows the fact that the Sabbath day as told in the, the Ten Commandments is not a required commandment for Christians. It is wise. It is helpful. I think it is good. But it is not actually a requirement because it is not a manner of righteousness. It is one to be done with thanksgiving. But 
more importantly, Paul says at the end that each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. What does that mean? That means as we submit ourselves to God, and this is important, that we don't just come up with these conscience issues on a whim. We don't just rely on our background to tell us what is right and wrong. We follow the guidance of the scripture and the guidance of the spirit. But when we submit ourselves to God, we pray through these things, then whatever our conviction is, whatever we are convinced is right, we must follow it. And to not follow it is actually sin. To not follow your conviction, whether people agree with it or not, is actually sin if it's Holy Spirit-filled conviction. That's important for us to know. Now, I've experienced this about even the Lord's Day. I've told some of you before that um, when I was in Toronto, Canada, serving on a mission trip, we were going and canvassing for this church plant and meeting people and having conversations with people. And then this one man outside of, I don't even remember where it was, but it's in Toronto. He he comes up to us and he says that he's Seventh-day Adventist which is fine, that's cool, like, you know, we, we had a good conversation, up until the point when he basically said, well, he didn't basically say it, he really said it, that you guys are going to hell because you don't observe the Sabbath on a Saturday. Literally said those words, and I'm like, okay, cool, 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 cool. I'm glad I know where I stand with you, but <laughs> this, was, this was wild. So was he wrong in having the conviction that a Sabbath should be observed on Saturday? No. He's not. He's following his spirit-filled conviction. Was he wrong in condemning me for not also observing that? Yes. Absolutely. Now you're beginning to see kind of what some of these differences are. Now, I don't think he was right, but he has the right under the Spirit's guidance to hold that conviction. Paul gives equal rights to both sides here, but he says we must be fully convinced. That word means to the fullest extent. That we must have exhausted our wisdom and options and prayer so that we are convinced. So it matters about which there is no clear scriptural commandment or position. It's called a matter of conscience. And that calls us to be two things. Informed and convinced in the Lord. We must be informed on what is wise We must consider our brothers and sisters as a part of that. And we must be convinced, fully convinced that it is truly what is right. Now, Paul's not saying we can act or indulge ourselves on anything. He's not saying that at all. But he he is saying that regarding these freedom, uh, these conscience issues, we have freedom to exercise our conscience before God. But God does give us the responsibility, church, to be informed to be wise, to make sure that we are going based upon truth in these matters, not just background or preference, what is easier. So the fourth thing, and we're moving very quickly now, in matters of conscience, let us pursue mutual worship and submission. Verses 6 through 9, mutual worship and submission. Look with me there back at verse 6. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. Notice here, in honor of of the Lord, since he gives what? Thanks to God, underline it. While the one who abstains, abstains in what? Honor, underline it, of the Lord, and gives what? Thanks to God, underline it. For none of us live to himself, 
and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be both Lord of the dead and of the living. Paul now calls us to have a temperament or a disposition of the heart, regardless of what conviction it is. And it is one of worship, and it is one of, excuse me, of submission. And he calls us that in two ways. He says that if you're going to do whatever you choose to do, These people are doing it in honor and in thanks be to God. This is the spirit in which they're doing it in. And then he says, you are not your own. So we are submitted to the Lord in this. Now what this means in regards to matters of conscience, in my opinion, is this. That nothing should be done out of a dependency or need. Particularly in regards to alcohol. Right, Whether you agree that alcohol can or should be drank, the scripture says you need to obey the government. So if you're under 21, it's, it's, it's sin if you do it, right? But above 21, should, should Christians be able to drink? It's a matter of conscience, in my opinion. But he says to do it in thanks or honor to God. And what that means is if we are doing anything out of dependency or need, out of addiction, then it's wrong. Because we're not submitted to the Lord at that point. So he says out of gratitude and thanksgiving is the way that we honor the Lord in this. 1 Timothy 4 helps us here. He says, Paul says to Timothy, for everything created by God is good. And nothing is to be rejected if it is to be received with thanksgiving. For it is made holy by the word of God in prayer. Notice, it is made holy by his submission to the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice in this section, 6 through 9, the word Lord is mentioned seven times. Who are we to submit to in this? The Lord. As Christians, we are not Lord of our own lives. We are to submit everything, our background, our preferences, our convictions, to the Lord himself. And if that is not happening, then we're rebelling. And so in matters of conscience, let us pursue mutual worship and submission. And finally, in matters of conscience, let us remember personal accountability. Let us remember personal accountability. Paul says in verses 10 through 12, this why do you pass judgment on your brother or why do you despise your brother there's a there's a hate a vitriol here for the people that are abstaining the people that actually get to exercise this this conviction oh geez like what a doof you know like doing something like that I can't believe they would do something like despise looking down thinking lesser of why do you despise the brother for we will all stand before the judgment seat of God For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me. Every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. We must live our lives knowing that as believers, even though our justification is by faith, we will all still give an account to God for our actions. The things hidden in secret, we will have our works and our motives exposed And any judgment or any 
um, disunity caused for these kinds of things will be exposed on that last day. And our salvation will not be at stake, but our rewards into eternity will. So be faithful, fight for unity, love and welcome one another. How do we, how do we move from here? Five things, you're not gonna remember it, that's why I printed it out. Prayerfully consider what is right in your life. Receive wise counsel from scripture and the body of Christ. Acknowledge your conviction, but be gracious about it. Repent of harsh judgment and causing division and believe the best about your brothers and sisters in Christ. That's how we build a foundation of freedom and love in a group of people from all kinds of places with all kinds of backgrounds and all kinds of preferences. Okay, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your word that, that challenges us, that doesn't allow us to shy away and avoid the tough stuff, but allows us to have open conversations. Holy Spirit, would you come and work in our hearts and lives? Would everything in our life be submitted to you? Would you shape and form us by your word that our convictions would be wise? Let us love and and accept one another as you have accepted us in Christ Jesus, Lord. I pray for the person or people in here that may not be a believer in you. This may have gone over the, so far over their head that you know they might as well be in a, on a different planet. But I, I pray, Father, right now that they, they would feel in their heart of hearts that you are real, that we are attempting to live under your authority because Jesus, we believe you died and raised again. And we believe every one of us will stand in front of you at one point or another. And I pray for the person that is not a believer in here today. God, I pray that they would see their sin and call out to you and confess it, that they would see their need for a savior. For the believer in here, God, that is just kind of drifting and doesn't even have the opportunities to, you know, to to have fights about consciousness or conscience issues because they're not connected anywhere. I pray, God, that you would ground them somewhere, that you would allow us to love and accept them. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.